You following? How's it going? Everything good back there? All right, now, Lucas, let's stop. I want you to turn your head that way. Okay, turn your head as far as you can that way. Now, I want you to follow me wherever I go. <laughs> no, don't look. Don't look. Follow me wherever I go. <laughs> Lucas, are you turning your head back? You're ruining my illustration, Lucas. <laughs> Lucas, you're not supposed to be able to see me. Oh, there you go. Come on, Lucas. Thank you, Lucas. Sit down. Wave a spoil that for me. Wonderful. Thank you. So, what happened? What was supposed to happen? What's supposed to happen is it's supposed to be very difficult or impossible to follow someone if you are looking behind you. So, what tempts you most in your life to look behind and not ahead? Is it something good? Is it something bad? Maybe you look back at the old days. You loved them so much. Life was just as you wanted it back then. Your family was just as you wanted it to be. Culture was so much better, in your opinion, and so you keep trying to recreate the past in a world that won't let you. And as long as you do that, you can't move forward. So you got to forget it. Don't look back. Maybe for you, as you look back, there's sin back there, either your own sin or someone else's sin against you. And that sin was so damaging to you or to someone else that you, you, you can't get past it. And so you keep looking back at it. Forget it. Don't look back. How can you or I, or any of us in this room, follow Christ, who is always before us, if we keep looking back at whatever it is we're looking? We can't. That's the answer. And so if you and I are going to follow Christ, if we're really going to follow Christ, then we must be people who don't look back. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning as we come for the fourth and final time to Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you would open them to Hebrews chapter 11. And when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand so we might hear read together the word of the living God. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 8, this is the word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
where people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of what of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. As we've heard this morning, it is a, a light unto our paths. So we thank you for that. Light up our way this morning, Lord, as your Holy Spirit joins the truth of your word. Uh, bring light, bring life, bring transformation. Make us in the people that you desire for us to be. For our good, but mostly for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. For the past three weeks, we've been here in Hebrews chapter 11 talking about how it is that we might implement the vision we have as a church that we've been talking about since January, the beginning of January. It's not a vision that we created or brainstormed by meeting or retreating. It's just a simple vision that we receive directly from the Word of God. We simply seek to be a church that is becoming community in Christ because we believe that's the process to which God calls all people in all churches, in all places, and in all times to always be in process, always becoming more and more like Christ. To be always in process of becoming a, a, a real, authentic, vulnerable, loving, grace-filled, truth-speaking community for one another. To always be in the process of seeking to, to reach and to change our community outside of these walls, our culture, with the good news of Jesus Christ and with God's truth. And with our acts of love and mercy and justice and kindness, we've looked at three steps we have to take in order to implement that vision. Step one was this. We must acknowledge, we must admit that we are strangers or aliens in this world. So whatever truth we have to offer, whatever love we have to offer, whatever help we have to offer... It's got to come from a place that is alien to this world. It must be inspired by a motivation that is alien to this world. It must be empowered by a power that is not of this world. And guess what? It is. It all comes to us from above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Boldness marked the admission, the the confession, the acknowledgement of these people of faith at whom we've been looking. They were not afraid to admit to the world. And they were not afraid for the world to see who they really were, were aliens, strangers, foreigners in this world. And their bold testimony should challenge our silence, should challenge the desire we have too often to just fit in and not be noticed. It should challenge our too often practice of hiding our true identity. 
we must take this first step if we will ever implement our vision. We must say, I am unashamedly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That will always make me seem different to the world. Step two, we remember that we are temporary here. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they didn't hold tightly to the things of this world. They were dwellers in tents. And tents are definitely temporary, transportable housing. You and I can make different decisions. And we can be available to God in different ways, in better ways, when we realize that this world is not all there is. Temporary living leads to a lifestyle of sacrifice. And listen, and you know this already, becoming more like Christ requires sacrifice. It does. Becoming community in Christ requires sacrifice. Reaching our community and our culture for Christ requires sacrifice. It's much easier to live a lifestyle that is simple and sacrificial when we view stuff as temporary. Step three. Last week, we saw we must keep our focus on the future. Something better is coming. Do you believe that? So we don't have to gratify ourselves immediately or even over time with the things of this world because we know heaven is coming. This morning, we look at this fourth and final step that we must take if we are to implement our vision well. If we're going to become a community in Christ and impact our culture for Christ, then step four, we must not look back. And the reason I put this step after the step of looking forward is because after we've fixed our eyes on Christ, when we have our eyes fixed on the better thing that's coming, the eternal life, the life that's full and free, the life that's as it should be, when we realize that that is ahead and doesn't come to us all at once, then is when we are tempted to look back. An old Irish preacher in the late 1800s wrote this, When once the heart loses its freshness in the divine life, when heavenly things begin to lose their savor, when first love declines, when Christ ceases to be a satisfying and altogether precious portion for the soul, when the word of God and prayer lose their charm and become heavy, dull, and mechanical, then the eye wanders back. The heart follows the eye and the feet follow the heart. That's why step four follows step three. Don't look back. Let me be explicit about what I mean by not looking back. I don't mean that we don't look back to learn from our mistakes. I don't mean that we don't look back at history and all that it has to teach us. That's exactly what we're doing this morning. We're looking back in history to people of faith and how they lived their lives. I'm referring to living in the past. I'm referring to wanting what the past has to offer more than we want what Christ promises and what our future is. 
or by being chained to the past because of sin that we can't let go of or we think won't let go of us in such a way that we cannot move forward into the future following Christ. So how is it that we're going to be free from this backward pull? The most important thing that we can do is to realize, to understand, to know that every single one of us is susceptible to this powerful pull of the past. Because only then can we make choices every day against that pull. Look with me in verse 15. It says, if they had been thinking of the land, of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Please don't glaze over now when I start to talk about grammar. Do you promise? The Holy Spirit inspired the author of this letter to write, would have had in the historic present instead of just the past tense. Now, the reason that historical present was used by ancient Greek authors was to emphasize, it was to emphasize a memorable past event in order to make it more memorable. That's why they did it, to emphasize event and to make it more vivid, more memorable. The historic present was inserted in a, a story that had been using just the past tense to, to highlight that that is the action that you and I should be watching. Whatever was written in this tense, that's where our attention should be. And they use this tense in order to draw the reader, that's you and me, into the scene as if we were actually there as it unfolded. So what's happening here in this verse is you and I are, are being invited into the reality that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would have had an opportunity to go back, back to the past. Now, the word translated opportunity means a moment that is especially appropriate. The right, proper, or favorable time. I'm going to repeat that. An opportunity is an especially appropriate moment. The right, the proper, the favorable time. That means that for these men of faith, as they looked at their lives, there seemed multiple times to be a right time, a favorable time. Even a proper time for them to turn around and go back to the land from which they had come. Specifically for Abraham, it was a city, the city of Ur. So again, the Holy Spirit of God inspires the author of Hebrews to very purposefully use the word city. You find it in verse 10. You find it in verse 16. Because in ancient Greek, city was a place of special privilege for a select few. Only a few people could live. A certain number could live in the city and enjoy all the good things the city offers and all the amenities that a city might offer. Think about Charleston, the city proper. We can easily access it by car, all the amenities of, of downtown Charleston. But living downtown, or at least owning downtown, that's become a, 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 a privilege for just the, the privileged few. So it was in ancient Greek. 
The city was thought to be a place of, of special privilege, and it was believed to be a place of universal hope. All that to say, we're supposed to enter into this moment with these men of faith. We are supposed to enter with them the internal debate that took place as they chose the past or the future. The historic present requires that of us. What would we decide? See, looking back brought to mind a city, a special privilege for Abraham. He had already lived there. He had already known the privilege of being a city dweller. But God called him to leave that special privilege. And certainly as you wander around in the desert year after year, setting up tent, striking tent, setting up tent, striking tent, digging wells just to get a little bit of water, having people fight over those wells, the city becomes alluring, right? A, a place of hope, a place of security. What hope, what security does a barren desert offer? And so you and I are supposed to be drawn in to the power of the 101 justifications that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob could have made for going back. And at times, the choice would have seemed right. At times, the choice would have seemed appropriate or favorable for giving up on this great adventure with God and returning to the security and the privilege and the hope that the city offered. And no one would have blamed them. I think Jesus was in the same position. Scripture tells us that he was led by the Spirit into the desert. And he fasted there for 40 days. And during those 40 days, Jesus was tempted by Satan. And we are told of those three temptations. He was tempted to turn the stones into bread. He was tempted to jump from the highest point of the temple so that God would have to prove his love for Jesus by sending angels to rescue him. And he was tempted to bow down and worship Satan. Luke 4 tells us that after Jesus' 40 days in the desert, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. So opportune time, that's the same word, opportunity. That we read in Hebrews that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would have had to go back. So Satan felt the weakness that Jesus experienced after 40 days of fasting. That that would be an appropriate time to get Jesus to look back and to turn back. And every temptation must have reminded Jesus of what he left behind in heaven, in the city of God. When, in the lavish richness of heaven, had Jesus ever been hungry? Never. So look back, Jesus, not ahead at the cross, not at the joy set before you in heaven when you get beyond the cross. Look back, Jesus, go back. When in heaven had Jesus ever been required to do anything? That would cause the father to prove that he really loved him and cared for him. Never. Never happened. So look back, Jesus. Not ahead at the cross. Not at the joy set before you in heaven when you get beyond the cross. Look back and go back. When had Jesus ever received anything but the worship of the heavenly beings? Never. 
And yet now Satan asks Jesus to bow before him. So Jesus, look back. Look back. Don't look ahead at the cross or the joy set before you in heaven when you get beyond the cross. No, look back and turn back. You want some good news? Jesus did not look back. Is that good news? He didn't look back at the, the good old days in heaven. He stood against every temptation. As we read during our time of confession, he set his face like flint and he went to the cross and he endured the suffering of that cross. He kept looking toward the city of God, the security offered by it, the hope offered by it for us after the cross. And so looking forward is what prevented Jesus from looking back, from returning to heaven before he had finished the task for which he had come to earth in the first place, which was to seek and to save the lost. That's you and that's me. So when Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, to the one who said, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus isn't being harsh and he isn't being cruel. He is calling all those who follow him to do what he has already done. He's being realistic with us about what is required of us to live in and to work for the kingdom of God. He knows the desire, the, the, the dire results of putting your hand on the plow for starting out with God and then for turning around and going back, abandoning that to which God had called him to go back before the work was finished. He's being realistic with us about what is required if we will implement this vision as a church, both within these walls and in the community beyond. When the powerful temptations come as they came to Jesus, if we look back, you and I, too, will easily Abandon the things of God. Jesus did not. When we look back, we will not accomplish anything that's fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus says so. And the consequences for those that are sitting around you right now, they're dire. Really, you've got to see yourself that way. If you look back, you're hurting not only yourself, but all, all of us who are around you. The city, if we look back, consequences are dire. Life. And death are at stake. And that's why Jesus didn't look back. Only ahead, only to the joy set before him. Don't look back. In one of the shortest verses in scripture, Luke 17, verse 32, Jesus says, Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Do you remember Lot's wife? Jesus commands us to. She lived with her husband Lot, Abraham's nephew, and her family in Sodom and Gomorrah, a city that was so wicked, the sin was so bad that the cries went up before God in heaven. Scripture said their sin was very grave. And after God scrutinized these cities to confirm just how reprehensible the sin was, he determined that these cities must be destroyed. The sin had to be stopped. The sin could not continue to spread. But, because God is a God of grace, he determined that he would save 
Lot and his family. Genesis 19 says that the angels sent from God urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out, of the, out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back, yes, lest you be swept away. See, God's plan and God's purpose and God's power, it lay ahead for Lot and his family, not behind. But you know the story. Lot's wife did not obey God. Scripture says that she looked back. And when Scripture says or uses the word look back, it isn't just a quick little glance. That word means to, to regard, to consider, to pay attention to. And many times it's used uh, to, to mean to look at with favor or pleasure. Entire sermons have been written about poor Lot's wife. Speculations have been made about why it is that she turned back. She loved the city, the life she had there, the friends she had there. Perhaps she was a very active participant in the grievous sins that were taking place in that city. We don't know. But what we do know is that she disobeyed God and she became a pillar of salt. We do know that looking back was the end of the journey for her. She had no moving forward with God. And here's the tragedy about Lot's wife. She had been set free. She had been rescued by God's grace. How grateful she should have been. And even while God was doing what he promised he would do, even while God was doing what he actually could do, even while she and her family were graced to escape the destruction, she didn't want what God wanted. She wanted her past. And of course, the, the image for you and for me is a vivid one. Here is Lot's wife, frozen in time, a, a, a pillar, a statue of salt, and she is looking back. So if you were frozen in time right now, a statue, which way would you be looking? Jesus commands us, remember Lot's wife. Just like her, God has graced you. And me, he's forgiven us. He set us free in Christ. What do you hope to gain by dwelling on the past? Some kind of penance. If you punish yourself or someone else enough, you think you can make up for it, forget it. Or get it. You can't. Only Jesus can do that, and he did. And on the cross, he took the punishment. For all your sins. Do you believe that? Do you? Jesus set you free. Run toward him. Don't look back. Look ahead where Christ is. Maybe you look to the past to find a, a sense of safety and security that you don't see in your future. Forget it. Stop looking back. It's not there. The safety and security and hope that you need is in the future with God 
Scripture says, you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Is that good news? When you and I look to the past, it should only be, only be to look for the faithfulness of God. Because guess what? God is faithful. And his past faithfulness informs our present situation right now, whatever it is. It does indeed the faithfulness of God. Give us strength for today, and it informs our future. It gives us bright hope for tomorrow. Back one chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, we read, He who promised is faithful, and God is faithful. And that's why Abraham and Isaac and Jacob could make the same decision over and over and over again whenever the seemingly right opportunity presented itself for them to return to the place from which they had come. They answered that call, that opportunity, no, 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 and no. Why? Because God is faithful. And so they could keep going with God into the future even when the future for them looked like a barren wilderness. And so guess what? You and I can do the same thing. God is faithful, so we can move forward with Him. God is faithful, so we can take step one, and then step two, and then step three, and then step four, and then we actually become community in Christ, and then we can change our community for Christ. So let's do this. Let's put our hand to the plow, And not look back. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would make this possible for us. Through your grace, through the power of your Holy Spirit, in trust in your faithfulness, Lord, we pray that we would place our hands on the plow and that you would place your hands on top of our hands. And Lord, we pray, keep looking forward. Lord, we know we can't plow the field if we're looking behind us. We won't even know the direction to go or the course to take. So, Father, I pray that you would keep us moving forward with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us give up, let go of whatever pulls us to the past. Lord, that's not where our future is, so help us let go of it. The dream world that we Think of the the rose-colored glasses with which we look at the past and, and the world which we try to recreate right now. Lord, help us let go of that. The present is different. The future will be different than, than today's present. Lord, we have to follow you into it. Lord, if there are people here struggling with the, the, the sin of the past that they have committed, help them let go and to know, Lord Jesus, that all has been forgiven on the cross. There's nothing left for us to do about it but to let go of it and watch as you bury it in the deepest sea so that we see it no more. Lord, if people here have been sinned against, how painful that experience and how life-altering it often is for us, Lord, when someone else sins so grievously against us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to those people this morning as well. That you'd bring healing and hope and release. That, Lord, because you are at work and your spirit is powerful, that they would let go of that. 
and the damage that was done and look in faith to the future, following closely after you the good future that you have for them. Lord, we do want to become a community in Christ because that's what you call your people to in your word. We need to be family for one another, real family, honest family. Help us to do that, Lord, as we keep our eyes on you and follow after you. Lord, we need to reach our community. All we need to do is look at the headlines to know the things that are going on in our culture. And it doesn't take much to see, Lord, that so much of what's going on is in complete contradiction to your word. Lord, these people need not our uh, hate or our scorn. They need your love within us. They need your truth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us put our hands on the plow and that we would follow you out into a culture that's scary to us so that we might really make a difference in this place for Jesus' sake. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and because you are so faithful. Amen. I invite you now to take your bulletin and open it. You'll find our last song printed there. Let's stand together as we sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Thank you. 